Welcome to the teaching ministry of pastors Carl and Cheryl Thomas. Our favorite verse is Habakkuk 2.14. For the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Consumed by that revelation, we are committed to recognizing, resourcing, and releasing high-impact ministries resulting in global glory, transforming lives to impact their world. We have a teaching that will impact you today. Now, let's get right into that word. Amen. So, chapter 15 of the book of Mark. Uh, I have uh, used a whole lot of my time already on other stuff. So, we're going to go through this massively fast. You ready? But for the kids, I wanted to start the sermon with this. I wanted to start with this right, right here. Uh, next slide. Boom. So I got grandkids now. So I hadn't watched any Disney shows since I think Beauty and the Beast. And now I'm realizing I've missed a lot. So now I got to start watching all these things. You know, it's not bad though. It's kind of fun going in. But Olaf, what a great character, eh? I mean, Anna, she's, she's frozen. You know, she's dying. And, and then he goes out and he, he gets her and he brings her in by the fire and he makes a fire and he's got this fire stoked up and she starts to defrost and she's like coming to herself. And all of a sudden she realizes as much as this fire is restoring life, to me, Olaf is a snowman and he is literally giving his life so that I can have life. I mean, he's laying himself down. The snowman is pushing up his face. He's melting right there. But he wants Anna to be restored. He wants her to come back to life. He wants her to be healed again. And then Anna says, Olaf, she says, what are you doing? And Olaf said, some people are worth melting for. Isn't that awesome? I just went, that is so cool. Some people are worth melting for. Not everybody, but some people. Some people you kind of, yeah, I'll pass on that one. But aren't you glad that Jesus, he loved everybody? And Jesus laid down his life for everybody with God. Every single person is worth it. And you know, that's what we're talking about today because we're talking about the crucifixion. We're talking about how, how God himself came and laid down his life. The crucifixion. I love this uh, passage by Max Licato out of his book, Six Hours, One Friday. He says, the cross. What is the cross? He said, the cross. It rests in the timeline of history like a compelling diamond. Its strategy summons all sufferers. It is absurdity attracts all critics. It's hope lures all searchers. My, what a piece of wood. History has idolized it and despised it, gold-plated it and burned it, worn it and trashed it. History has done everything to it but ignore it. That's the one option that the cross does not offer. No one can ignore it. You can't ignore a piece of lumber that suspends the greatest claim in history, a crucified carpenter claiming that he is God on earth. Its bottom line is sobering. It's the account. If this account is true, it is, if it is history, it is history's hinge. It's history's hinge. Did I mess up that line a little bit? If it is true, it's history's hinge. If it's true, and it is true, history and everything in history hinges on the cross. The, the Gospels, every one of the Gospels, they all point to and they all hinge on the cross. It hinges on the cross, period. It hinges on the cross, period. If it doesn't hinge on the cross, it's history's greatest hopes. We're talking about the cross of Jesus Christ today, and the cross is a big deal. They're on their way to Jerusalem. We talked about the journey from Galilee to Jerusalem in Mark 10, 33 and 34. He, Jesus said to them, behold, we're going to Jerusalem. 
and the Son of Man, meaning him, will be betrayed to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles. They will mock him and scourge him and spit on him and kill him, and on the third day he will rise again. Jesus straight up told them exactly what was going to go on. I think some of them got it. I think some of them had a, a loose understanding of maybe what was going on, but most of them didn't have a clue. Most of them were shocked by the cross, but I think there were a few, maybe even Joseph of Arimathea heard it, maybe even Martha and Mary, when they were talking to Jesus, maybe they understood, you are the resurrection and the life. Maybe some people actually heard him. He told them well ahead of time, several times, exactly what is going to go down, but there were still many who thought he was going to set up a kingdom that was on earth. Something that was going to happen that he would usurp and replace Rome. So they were devastated when they saw Rome murder him and destroy him. But the cross is a powerful, powerful thing. On Palm Sunday, when he came in on Palm Sunday, you had Jesus on a donkey coming in the east gate. But on the same day, you had Pilate with regalia, with an army, with a, a massive, the greatest force of war and destruction and violence in the earth. He came with the banners, with the golden eagle. He came with a legion of people and boom, he was coming in the other gate. You had Jesus, the king of kings on a donkey coming in one gate and you had a manifestation of Rome and all of its violence was coming in the other side of the city. This is what's going on. We're setting up for this massive confrontation because the, from the, between the powers of this world and the powers of Almighty God. So this is an interesting time. What we're reading right now, where we are in the book of Mark, is an interesting place. So they, they betrayed. He was betrayed by Judas. He was taken, and, and the uh, scribes and Pharisees, they tried him, but they knew we can't kill him. Only Rome can kill him. So they took him over to Pilate, and they, they had a case that they shared with Pilate, and they said, you know, we, we want you to kill this guy, and here's why. So they took him over to Pilate, and Pilate had him in, brought him in, but Pilate really wasn't impressed. Pilate was like, man, Pilate's like, so you're... You, this is it? And, and believe me, he is a governor representing Rome in this armpit of the earth, and he's there, and if he heard as the governor that somebody is being raised up as a king, if he heard that, he'd be in massive trouble if he didn't deal with that. So here they are, somebody's bringing in, this guy claims to be king of the Jews. I mean, if Pilate really believed that, he's going, I gotta take this guy out. That's my job here from the Roman authorities. My job is to suppress, suppress anything that would try to rise up against Rome. But he's looking, and they bring in this guy who's beaten and spit on and messed up. They're, are you serious? I mean, you guys are telling me that, you know, you need to deal with this. He says he's the king of the Jews. I mean, my God, you're sent here to deal with people like this. And, and Pilate looked, he said, oh, come on. So here we are in Mark chapter 15, verse 12. Pilate answered, he said to them, what then do you want me to do with him? What then do you want me to do with him? What then do you want me to do with him? Every single person who's ever lived has to answer that question. What are you going to do with Jesus? And Jesus and the cross, as Max Lucado said, has an incredible claim. He said, what do you want me to do with him? And they mocked him, and they scourged him, and they spit on him, and they killed him. What do you want me to do with him, whom you call king of the Jews? So they cried out again, crucify him. And Pilate said, come on, guys, what has he done? What has he done? 
But they cried out all the more, crucify him. So Pilate, wanting to gratify the crowd, pleased them. And he comes out and he said, look, I got Barabbas. He's trying everything he can do to let this guy go. Because he says, this guy is clearly innocent. This guy is clearly not a threat. And he's questioning Jesus. Jesus won't even answer. Probably the first time that Pilate would question somebody and they didn't grovel and beg for mercy, but they questioned Jesus. Said, are you, are you the, are you really like, you're the, you're the king of the Jews? He said, it is as you've said. And Jesus, not intimidated, not moved, completely secure in who he was, not groveling. Pilate can't believe that this guy's not begging for his life. But Jesus stood and he understood the time. He understood what was going on. And they cried out again, crucify him. And then Pilate said, fine. You know what? He said, I'm going to give him to you. He says, look, I'll give you one more chance. We always get to lose somebody on this feast. So you want this? I can release this robber, this ugly, terrible gross creature, or with this Jesus guy, I can let this Jesus guy go, who you say is the king of the Jews, or I can let this creepy guy go. So he, he set it up so that he was thinking, I'm sure they're going to pick him. They don't want this crazy dude loose to the streets. But sure enough, they go, Barabbas. And the same group of people who said, blessed art thou who comes in the name of the Lord, the same group of people who said, he's the Messiah, four or five days later are going, kill him. It's like the people last week who thought I preached good, this week they're not interested. People are fickle, aren't they? Man, it's tough. But here it is. So they take him and they crucify him. They crucify him. First Peter 2.24 says, He who bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sin, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes we are healed. When Jesus was taken out and scourged, that means he was whipped, and they would whip you 40 times less one, which is 39. Now, I don't know for sure. I've tried to research it, but many have said that all diseases are rooted in one of 39 roots. There's one of 39 roots for disease. And you see, it says, by his stripes. And you see, when they would whip your back with a cat of nine tails, it had stones in it and glass in it. And I mean, they knew how to do this. They were professional, violent torturers. And they would whip that back, and they would go across it in such a way, like they would literally pull his back... They would tie him to a post and pull his back tight so his back was nice and tight. And then they would whoosh across the back and then they would tear the flesh right out. Like they would whip so that glass and stone would dig in and then he go Phew. It wasn't just a whack. It was a, 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 a thrash across the back to insert those instruments of pain to tear the flesh right off his body until after 39 strokes, his bones were completely exposed and tissue was pulled from all around his abdomen. 60% of people who were scourged died. Only four out of 10 even made it through this. So when they brought him back out of that, they would do that. They would beat you like this because if you didn't make that, so be it. But if you did make it, then you were so weakened. You were so destroyed. You were such a mess that they would take you down the street and then they would hang you on a cross and they would nail your feet in and then they'd nail your hands in. And then you were so in absolute pain, writhing in pain. And what's happening is you were suffocating. Water is beginning to fill your lungs and you can't breathe. So here's the joy. You get to push on your feet. Where, where you're through your ankles, they've just nailed this massive spike, and you would push on that and gasp for breath trying to stay alive. And they used to love doing that because, look, this is what happens to people who defy Rome. So they would let them die in the most excruciating way, and some it would take days. They'd be gasping for breath, trying to live, pushing themselves up. Their elbows would dislocate. Their shoulders would dislocate. Their wrists would dislocate. They were hanging, their arms, flesh, just hanging, then pushing up on their feet, gasping for breath all day, sometimes for three or four days, trying to get breath. 
And here's, a, here's how Mark put it. Mark put it this way. Now it was the third hour and they crucified him. I think we might look at that and say, they crucified him. Do you know that no one put a cross as a symbol of Christianity? It, it wasn't until the, the fifth century in uh, Santa, Santa, what was it? It was Santa Sabina in Rome, it was the first church to use the cross as a symbol and use it publicly. Cross was never a symbol for the church. They would never use so, something so gross, something so humiliating. It was an object of torture and death, and they never used it as a symbol of the faith. The first time it was used, they had three crosses in, the, in one of the doors, one of the panels of the door in Santa Sabina in Rome was the first place across. Then suddenly, crosses and crucifixes became more popular to get thrown around. Now we kind of wear them around our necks, get them tattooed on us. Hey. I mean, what if, what if they didn't use crosses back then? What if it was the electric chair? At the electric chair, at the electric chair, where I first saw the light and the burdens of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight. Oh, the electric chair of Jesus. It was a it was a instrument of I'm not saying we shouldn't use crosses we do and I, I'm I'm not opposed to it but we should understand that that's a symbol of God's love for us but they were they understood it that's why Mark just said they crucified him because they all knew what that meant we don't have a clue we don't have an idea they saw it they understood it he was crucified that's where we get the the word excruciating he was crucified. And I'm not saying, hey, he went through a lot of pain for you, so smarten up and live right. That's not the message. He didn't do that because now you need to feel bad about what I did for you for the rest of your life. He didn't do that for the joy set before him. He endured the cross. He didn't say, I'm going to do something terrible so you'll forever remember, look what I did for you, and I'm going to hold this against you every time you screw up. That's not what it's about. That's not what the gospel is about. He went through what happened to be the most gruesome thing of that day. He was not killed by God. God didn't take his life. The Romans killed him, and the religious leaders of the day knew that they'd be the agents to do it. But here's the beautiful mystery. By his stripes, you are healed. He took all of your sin in his body. I want to show you a picture. I got a picture. Can I show you a picture? Now, in that picture, it actually, if you look at it, it's, uh, it's uh, you may not be able to see it, but it says, I love the kids, and it says, I love you, Lil. I love the kids, and I love you, Lil. Now, this is a guy named John Phipps. He's 44 years old, January 26, 2013. He was on the Metrolink plane, train going into L.A. A guy who had parked his SUV on the track, and he decided he was going to commit suicide by letting the Metrolink train hit him. And instead, the train hit his SUV, went off the track, and had a head-on collision with the train coming the other way. 200 people were gravely hurt, and 11 people died. And John Phipps was one of those guys who thought he was going to die. Within feet of him, there were people who were already dead, and he was under heaps and heaps of rubble. But there he was. He touched the back of his head, and he said, wow, I might bleed out. I'm bleeding really, really bad. And he thought, I may not see my family again. I may not see the people I love. So he decided to take his own blood, and right beside him on the back of that chair, he decided to write, I love you, kids, and I love you, Lil, and in his own blood. He wrote a love letter. And his wife, his wife said, uh, I mean, Hallmark cards will never do anything with this. It says it was moving, it was thoughtful, and it was chilling at the same time. A rescue worker who found him said, I want to I take this chair and give it to the family, but the, they used it in court because the guy who parked on the track got charged with murder of all those people. But 
at the news conference, he said, my only thoughts at this point was I have to get this to the kids. He says, I've seen some gruesome things on the job, but this one moved me. This one moved me. I want to tell you that's a neat story, interesting story. But you know what the cross is all about? The cross is all about that God in his own blood wrote a love story to you. In his own blood, he said, I'm going to take your sin. I'm going to take your brokenness. I'm going to take your pain forever. True story. True story. So God in his own blood. Colossians 1.20 says, By him I am reconciled, and I have reconciled all things. By him he has reconciled all things to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven. He has made peace through the blood of his cross. So the cross is a big, big deal. I want to quickly just take a look at a few people, all right? There's, there's three things, uh, four things I want to see. There's, there were some foolish people. There was a favored person. There were some faithful people. And there's some forgiven people. And at the cross, you have to make a response. And here's the, here's the question. The question is, what are you going to do with Jesus? Just like, just like Pilate cried out, he says, what am I supposed to do with him? I want to tell you what you're supposed to do with him. You're supposed to embrace him right now. No matter what's happening in your life right now, no matter how bleak you think it is, that he wrote this love story to you in his blood means you're going to get through it okay. It says everything is going to be fine. And he wrote a covenant with you in his own blood, and you're going to be okay. Okay, so uh, first one, foolish at the cross. First Corinthians 1.18 says, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Most people say, I mean, how through that could I be set free? I mean, come on, what a weird story. God would die for me. Yes, it's foolishness to them, but those who receive him, it's eternal life. It's forever life. But there's foolish people out there. It would be a foolish thing to say that God didn't care for me and die for me. In fact, the Bible says that. Psalm 14.1 says, a fool says in his heart, there is no God. People need to know this brilliant story about how God wrote a love letter to them in his own blood. They need to know that he cares for them and they love them. But sadly, some people are just foolish at the cross and they don't get it. There's favorite at the cross. I read, I, I, there's another fellow who was uh, uh, Simon of Cyrene. Now, Simon of Cyrene, he's from Cyrene. He was coming for the feast. He was coming to enjoy the feast. Not every year could Jews travel to the feast, but he's probably so excited that I'm at the feast. And then all of a sudden he's on the street. And they bring down some prisoner that they're you know, ready to crucify and he's just a bystander. And then all of a sudden they say, you, come over here. Jesus was carrying a beam of the cross, weighed about 75 to 100 pounds. He had already been whipped half to death and now he's carrying 75 to 100 pounds outside the city to be crucified. He fell under the weight of it and couldn't move. And they said, you, come here, pick up this cross. And this guy's like, are you kidding me? I mean, I, I just came in. I haven't even got to my hotel yet. I got my luggage with me. I'm so excited to be in town. And I just got here. And, now, and the Romans can tell, if they tell you to do something, you got to do it. So he's got to drop everything and pick up this cross now because he picks up the cross, because there's blood on it, and because another man's blood got in him. My whole trip is ruined because now I traveled all this way to enjoy the festival. And now I've been declared unclean and I can't even enjoy what I came here for. You wrecked my whole day. He picked it up and he didn't know what was going on. But just one little phrase. It said, Simon of Cyrene, who was the father of Alexander and Joseph. I think it's interesting that suddenly Simon the Cyrene, you know, you know the guy, you know the guy I'm talking about? It's Alexander and Rufus's dad. Mark said, the guy in the story, you guys know him. You know him because remember Alexander and Rufus, Rufus was talked about in Romans. They said, you know, it was his dad that actually carried the cross. Unknowingly to him, he had no idea. A random bystander who got favored to carry the cross, who got favored to do something that wrecked his whole day, but changed his life forever. And he his whole family were brought into the kingdom. 
So sometimes you might be going through inconvenience. Say, this sucks. I mean, this, I can't believe this happened to me today. You need to keep your eyes on Jesus because he's always at work for good. And he's ready to turn that situation into something brilliant. Don't wallow in it and get confused about it. Rise up and say, thank you, Jesus, because you're doing something good in this situation right now. And I'm not going to get under the circumstances. I'm going to rejoice that you are always for me. You sing a song, I'm blessed. Yes, you are blessed all the time. Even when somebody interrupts your whole day, let God manifest himself in and through it and quit wallowing in it. That's not fair. Thank you very much. Favored at the cross, faithful at the cross. I talked about Joseph of Arimathea where he had an opportunity to come out and be faithful and he got engaged and at the cross, it brought him out and he showed up. And he manifests his faith in the coming kingdom of God. That's number three. You've got to go to number four, forgiven at the cross. Because there was a centurion at the cross. And the centurion, it says that, that Jesus cried out. He, he, I mean, you could be these people are like, like, you're literally, your, your, your bones are falling. Your, your shoulders, your arms, everything dislocated. And he's, he can't even breathe. And, but somehow he pushes himself up for one last, it is finished. And gave up his spirit to his heavenly father. And somewhere the, the centurion looked up when he said that. And the centurion said, surely this is the son of God. Now a centurion is somebody who, who was the head of a hundred soldiers. He's a centurion. You see, all the soldiers had their feathers going this way. A centurion had his feathers going that way. So you could tell the difference. But a centurion, he ran 100 men. He governed 100 men. They say it was probably about 2,500 soldiers that were there with Pilate. So in that whole region, at any one time, there would have been 25 centurions. And there was one centurion who came to Jesus and said, I got a servant who needs to be made well. And Jesus said, well, I'll come. And he said, you don't have to come. If you are who you say you are, if you've got all the authority you say you've got to do, I understand authority. I got men under me. If I tell them to do it, they do it. So if you've got authority over all things, even sickness and disease, you just command it to go if you are the big fella, and I believe it'll be gone. And Jesus went, whoa! I have never seen such great faith in all of Israel. Could it have been that it was this guy who was assigned to make sure Jesus died? Could it have been this guy who says, I know he's the son because he healed my servant. I've seen his miraculous works. Or was it just one of the other 25 guys who heard from his friend what, what this man had done and he was assigned here and he looked up and he saw him raise up and cry with a great big shout, paid in full! to every work of the devil, to everything that sin had caused, all the brokenness of the earth, Jesus raised up and said, it's done, it's paid in full, freedom, liberty comes to my whole creation. Then he looked up and he said, surely this is the Son of God. There were some people that were forgiven at the cross. I'm coming to a close, you ready? I got one picture for you right here. It's a picture there. Isn't that a great picture? How many remember who that guy was? I, oh, I got his name there, so you know. Ernest Borgnine. Good old Ernest, Ernest Borgnine. So in 1977, they did Jesus of Nazareth. It's like a, a three, four-hour film. Pretty good. Go watch it this afternoon. You know? so, but here's what he did. When he was doing the film and the scene that he had to do, he had to do this scene. He was the centurion at the cross, and he had to say, surely he is the Son of God. But now they didn't have the guy on the cross. They didn't have the Jesus. It was just his scene, and then it was all the cameras were on him and lighting and everything, and then he had to get into this story. 
But all he had is they put an X up above him in the lights so that he could have something to look at. He says, gee, I'm not getting into it. He said, could somebody get out that gospel story and start to read it to me? So they started to read to him the accounts. They started to read it to him and they started filming and he was looking at it. And he said, as he began to look at it, all of a sudden, he says, I don't know if it really happened, whether it was a trance or a vision. I'm not sure what happened, but Jesus appeared. I could see his nail-scarred brow. I could see the sweat coming down his face and his tears. I could see the blood. And I saw Jesus, and he's looking at me with, with affection, and he's looking at me with love. And it says, Ernest Borgnine, as he looked at that, he got caught in it, and he just began to explode into tears. And he said, I got lost in the whole moment. I wasn't sure what was going on. He says, the next thing I heard was, cut, cut. And the director said, cut. And I, I kind of pulled out of it, and I looked around. And he says, the whole set, everyone with me, and Bancroft, all these big actors, they were all tears pouring out their eyes and he began to share with them what happened he says I don't know if they saw what I saw but he says I turned to look back up and there was only an X but here's what he said look put that quote back up for me he said as the centurion I learned 2,000 years ago I too have found that you simply cannot come close to Jesus without being changed and Ernest Borgnine it's written and he's testified he says that experience completely transformed my life he said, I has never been the same since then. He said, I've been a better person. I've been careful to live a life. He says, but it's all happened because of that experience that I had with Jesus. I was personally impacted by him, and my encounter with him changed my life forever. What are you going to do? What are you going to do with him? Pilate said, what am I supposed to do with him? I want to know what are you going to do with him? You know, maybe you've been believers all your life and all that. I want you to be impacted by him today. In the midst of all of this nonsense, I don't want your eyes to be on what's happening in the world. I want your eyes to be on him. I want you to know that his blood that was written for you, by his stripes you are healed. His blood that was shared for you obliterated everything off you. One more scripture. Which one is it? Show me that last scripture. It says, Christ suffered for our sins once and for all, once and for all time. He suffered for all our sins, suffered for our sins once for all. He never sinned, but he died for sins to bring you safely home to God. Come on, why don't you stand with me? The whole story, the whole book of Mark, it, it climaxes here where God came and dealt with every bit of brokenness in humanity once and for all. And he's done it for you. It's real today. It's tangible today. If you're a believer, you got to appropriate. He didn't just want to get you to heaven. I mean, the next good thing to happen to you isn't that you get to go to heaven. It's heaven has come to you. The transforming power of God has come to touch your life. You now are a living, breathing vehicle of God now to minister his grace and peace to the earth. He's brought you into his family to communicate his loving kindness. Now listen, you bow your heads. Believers are praying. You're all praying. Online, just if you're listening, listen. Just bow your head. Hear me. If you've never accepted him as your Savior, never received this incredible act of love to you, you've never responded to the love story that was written in his own blood. He did all of this. All of this was done so that he could give you absolute access to the family of God so that you can come on home. Come on home. So maybe you're here today in this building right now. I don't know all of you. Maybe you wandered in. Oh, look, a church open. You know, you're here today. Maybe your life got interrupted and you're here today. Maybe you're living in a contradiction and you're here today. I tell you, God is for you. We sang it, you're blessed, he's for you. But listen, if you want to receive Jesus right now, say, come into my life, whether it's online or whether it's here in the house, I want to count to three. I do that just so you know it's time. 
But at three, would you put up your hand because I want to pray with you. You ready? All across. One, two, three. Just put your hand up very high right now and say, I'm here today, Pastor. Pray for me. If you've been watching online and you're saying, hey, I, I, want, I hear that. I hear an invitation to come on home. I want to come on home. Well, we're all going to pray with you right now. Just say this prayer with me. Just say, Lord Jesus, thank you for what you've done for me. I believe that you have made a way for me to be restored to my Father. So I receive you as my Lord and as my Savior. And I declare right now, I am forgiven, I am healed, and I am free. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. You know, if you did that for the first time online, on our front page, web page, there's a VIP pass. You can push a button. Somebody's ready to pay for you. You can fill out a contact sheet, contact list, and we want to communicate with you. So if, if you're a new person, even online, fill out the contact sheet so we can correspond with you. And thank you so much for being with us today. Let me pray for you. Uh, just one more thing, just uh, we are doing the moving, and I don't know if you always watch the pre-show. The pre-show gets put on the YouTube site as well. You can watch the announcements, and it's always pretty entertaining stuff. But there is a, a new tab. We got seven tabs on our website, but there's now eight. And then the eighth, it says we are moving. And the we are moving tab, we're going to update what's going on with us and any new things that are happening. We're going to update things for you to pray about and engage with us about. Because how many want to know where we're going? I know I do. <laughs> so we're, we're figuring that out together. This isn't me moving. This isn't the leadership team moving. It's us as a whole church moving to something. We believe God is opening a door for us to intentionally move into something bigger and broader. And it may be more than one thing. It may be several things. So, but we want to keep you abreast of that. So instead of calling or trying to track me down, you can click there. I don't mind you calling and tracking me down. I got nothing else to do. But we'd love to do that. All right. So let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we bless you. We love you. We just thank you for your kindness and goodness to us. I pray even for this story, this revelation of the cross, that you would let it sink deep in each of our hearts. I pray, Father, just right now that uh, people would know that uh, you went to incredible great lengths, not, not for us to feel sad about it, but for us to really rejoice and really be grateful and thankful that, Lord, you did this for us. I mean, that guy wrote a little story on the back of a seat, and that might be touching. But you know what? You wrote in your blood, but you didn't just die. You weren't just buried. You were raised again, and you're seated on high, and you're alive to enforce your will and testament for our lives. So we thank you. I pray you would let the gospel always sink deeply in our hearts. Speak to us all the time of the goodness and the grace of God. So, Father, I bless each and every one today. I thank you for your love, Father, your great love. I thank you, Jesus, for your great grace. And Holy Spirit, I just send people forth now in the partnership, in the purpose, and in the call of the Holy Ghost to loose your kingdom everywhere they go for your honor and for your glory. In Jesus' name.